idea of the venture funded startup ecosystem is designed around companies that will grow explosively and give outsized returns and many other businesses you know while they're good businesses find that uh, difficult to achieve you know that's something which i try to think if you know uh, when uh, when i see a portfolio company or a, a new company coming in say requesting funding that's one of the primary questions that we have to think about is you know is this a good business or uh, which will work well without venture funding or will it require venture funding and be able to deliver that explosive growth and scale hello and welcome to another edition of forbes india's the startup fridays which as you know are weekly conversations with accomplished entrepreneurs vc investors and other folk doing significant work in india's startup ecosystem i'm hariyarakli and my guest today is sanjay jain a partner at bharat innovation fund and the chief information officer at the center for innovation incubation and entrepreneurship at the indian institute of management amdavad sanjay started out with an engineering degree in computer science from indian institute of technology bombay and then followed it up with a masters in computer science from university of california los angeles over more than the last two decades he's had a distinguished career that includes playing a lead role in building google's mapmaker and later serving as chief product manager at the unique idea authority of india where he helped design and launched launched aadhar and saw it through to its first 300 million ids Anjay is also the chairman of the technology committee at Mossip or the modular open source identity platform which helps user organizations such as governments implement a digital foundational id in a cost effective way while embracing the best practices of scalability security and privacy harnessing the power of open source he is also a central figure at ispirit india's software products community and network and he is the host of his own show a popular podcast series called building for bharat and i think it's into its 45th episode now sanjay uh, wonderful to have you with us today uh, welcome to startup fridays uh, thank you hari pleasure to be here all right so let's just get started uh, tell us a bit more about yourself in your own words uh, how did you get interested in tech uh, to begin with So I mean it's a pretty long journey right I mean I've pretty old uh, when I was growing up uh, you know computers were really these big large clunky machines set up in data centers uh, but you know so when I was growing up it was uh, not on the horizon so to speak when I was a young kid but I think around the time I got to my high school days uh, you know I figured a little bit about them at some point learned a bit of programming as well and then mm. uh, you know it, i got hooked it was pretty exciting to see what you could do i ended up joining iit bombay computer science program in 83 uh, and uh, where the journey continued and since then i've been hooked uh, but uh, broadly you know uh, what happened was you know i started out at iit bombay doing comp science went on to do a masters and uh, worked in the bay area for a while but somewhere at this point you know the startup bug started to bite and i actually came yeah. back to india to create a startup in bombay in 1992 uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that at that time uh, you know pretty rough time for setting up i don't think it was a pretty rough time for setting up a startup but uh, you know it, it didn't go anywhere and uh, mm-hmm. uh, so you know i had to move out uh, try and figure out what next 
And in the process, I joined a startup in San Diego, uh, was there for a few years. Then I came back to India. Uh, and during this time, you know, I stayed an engineer, you know, did what I loved uh, most, which was to build things, to write code, to uh, do whatever kind of stuff. Uh, but I then, you know, in India, at some point, I was uh, trying to figure out what next. And at that time, Google uh, just happened to set up an office in India. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a great opportunity to go and do something that was really, uh, you know, impacting the world, right? It seemed like the right thing to do. So I ended up joining Google. And uh, there we were given an option of trying to figure out what we wanted to do next as a project. And uh, Google had just acquired uh, this company, which became Google Maps. And... Uh, uh, so we thought we should do something with there, but do it for India. And uh, one of the interesting things which most people don't realize is that the developing world in general and India in particular at that time was growing quite rapidly. Our cities grow, you know, or at least at that time were growing in population by 8 to 10% a year. And those kinds of numbers meant that any static map which didn't update would be obsolete very, very soon, right? New roads would get added, new societies, new layouts. And so we felt that we had to build something very specific for India. And um, mm. we said the best way to do it was to let users update the map data themselves. And uh, that's what led to Google Map Maker, sort of a wiki for maps where you see satellite imagery, you draw on it, and it becomes a map. And we used mm. that to create maps for uh, India and the developing world. So, I mean, I think as we put it, uh, 170 plus countries, including India and China, got onto Google Maps through this project. Mm. Mm. Uh, and it was pretty exciting to do it. Uh, somewhere in this process, I transitioned from uh, being an engineer to a product manager. Uh, that mm. That then basically, uh, you know, allowed me to think slightly differently. Uh, around the time this project was at an interesting point where, you know, we were done with all of the product building and there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, but I was trying to figure out uh, what I do next. And at that time, uh, India just announced the launch of uh, the Aadhaar program. At that time, it was not called Aadhaar. And uh, mm -hmm. so I and uh, Nandan was looking for people from the tech community to join him and help him build it. And I raised my hand and I said, hey, I want to be a part of it. And uh, I became the chief product officer at the UIDI. And, uh, you know, Friday from the early days, we helped to design, build it, launch it. Uh, and I was there for some time. Uh, and at that point, I felt that, you know, I was done with what I wanted to do. And the next phase, the user ecosystem would take off about three years later. So I decided that I should uh, move on back to the private sector again. Uh, and this time I joined a group of people. Uh, we were supported by Vinod Khosla, uh, you know, who I admire a lot. And he uh, said, look, that smart people. Let's figure out a way we can, we can build something interesting out of here. And that led to Novo Pay. But while mm. I was, you know, doing all of this, uh, you know, uh, having come out of the government, we were in various conversations, and there are other people. I was not the only one. I mean, this journey of 
recounted from a first person perspective, but you know, at each one of these products and efforts had a whole bunch of people I worked very closely with. And uh, mm-hmm. I was part of a team that did it. Uh, but, you know, so many of us were in these conversations, which was where we were talking about how, you know, digitization could help uh, uh, delivery of public goods and services. And that led to many things which effectively became the India stack. But uh, this was sort of housed at iSpirit, which was a uh, volunteer organization uh, designed to help, uh, you know, think about building products out of India. That's been the core belief that iSpirit started with, uh, something Mm -hmm. I still believe in. And so that then... um, helped me to you know be part of the team that contributed to building UPI and uh, many of the early APIs at India Stack. Mm. And so that was really part of my journey, you know, on the technology side of uh, life. But at this point, I sort of felt that while we were building all of these systems, just scaling up, doing well, there wasn't that many startups who were building around it. And we thought that this was a great opportunity. And so we said maybe we looked around and the sense we got was that there wasn't enough early stage risk capital to support these ideas. And that's what led to the fund. And uh, here we are now. (laughs) So So this first startup, uh, much before NovaPay, what was this startup called and what was it about briefly? So this was in 1992. Uh, There are a group of us... uh, you know, split between uh, the US and India that was looking to build a object-oriented database. And that company was called RDC. Um, uh, and that, ah, okay. uh, you know, that uh, at some point, you know, object-oriented databases were very hot. Uh, and this was right at that time. Uh, but then, you know, that uh, whole uh, set of uh, ODBs never really went anywhere. I think those ideas mm. became part of mainstream databases. And uh, mm. so, you know, as a result, we were uh, really not able to uh, build a very viable business. So the two of us as founders and my co-founder then uh, pivoted uh, to building something with the Internet, which was really in the early days. You're talking about 94, 95. And mm. uh, I felt I didn't want to be a part of the content story that the Internet would be. And so mm. I decided to move on. All right. Uh, NovaPay was more of a success, wasn't it? I mean, even then, I guess you were a little bit, uh, you know, ahead of the times were trying to work on payments. I mean, today everybody is working on it. Uh, eventually, what happened at NovaPay? So NovaPay is still around. I moved okay. on because what was happening was that uh, I was getting more and more interested in the uh, what the creation of what was the India stack. And, right. uh, and I had to essentially make a choice at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, being in a startup that was building around it would be a fairly, I would say, a very difficult thing to do both, right? So I just moved out. Mm-hmm. And you said at that time when you joined Aadhaar, it wasn't called Aadhaar. What was it called? Just Unique ID? or Yeah, it was the Unique ID Authority of India, which had been set up. Uh, right. The name Aadhaar was selected, uh, you know, uh, in that time uh I think the process had started when I joined, but uh, it was not yet done yet at that time. Okay. Okay. Let's uh, talk about your current work. You've been at Bharat Innovation Fund now almost five years since its inception. 
tell us a bit more about the story. I mean, you mentioned briefly about why you all wanted to start us early startup funding around uh, solving problems for the masses in India was not happening and there weren't so many such startups. So maybe walk us through uh, what the fund is about uh, and, and also maybe explain a bit in terms of how it works with the CIIE at uh, Institute of Management Ahmedabad and also the support of DSTA and all these things. Sure. So uh, broadly, um, there were two streams that came together to create the fund. Uh, so the path I was on was that we were building these uh, systems and APIs, which are really public goods. And what they end up doing is lowering the cost of uh, doing business. So Aadhaar reduces the cost of getting a bank account, reduces the cost of KYC, of digital signatures, and so on. Uh, UPI mm -hmm. uh, reduces cost of digital payments. Uh, at that time, it was still not fully free. There were still costs for merchants, but the it was still much lower than anything else out there. Uh, similarly, with uh, the digital locker, with the e-sign, all of these things were reducing many business costs. And our thesis was that if the costs were lower, that would mean that people go further out. So if you think of why you don't have banking so easily accessible in the villages, the reason is that it's very expensive to set up a branch and serve those customers. And that's not viable because those accounts don't pay for all of those costs. And so if you're able to reduce costs, say do uh, banking without a branch, say open, uh, do KYC without actually having people travel uh, in person all over the place and do transactions mm. again without that, you've actually taken out many of these costs and it becomes viable to service these accounts. Mm. So, so from that perspective, we thought that what India Stack would do was to expand formal markets in a way that would bring people into the formal ecosystem and that mm. resulting formalization would create data trails which would allow people to do things like get access to credit and so on. So there are many things that could be done once people start becoming a part of the formal ecosystem. And mm. we uh, thought that the India stack was enabling it. So we would see a massive wave of digitization that would expand uh, you know, services from uh, tier one India to tier two to you know, uh, as uh, far uh, as possible you know, towards the villages. Mm. And so mm. that was the uh, thinking on the India stack. And so uh, the idea of the fund that was uh, in my mind when we started this journey was to say, uh, how can we build, I mean, these public goods exist. So the idea was, how can we enable uh, startups to build and take the risks of expanding these markets and, uh, you know, uh, effectively take these services to the masses. So the core idea was around the reduction of costs leading to market expansion. Mm. That mm. I think has played out fairly well. But like I said, this is one stream. There was a second uh, conversation that was happening, uh, which we merged with, which was, you know, my uh, other partners at the fund were talking about how a lot of startups in India were really execution plays, right? These are mm -hmm. ideas that had worked elsewhere, uh, say China uh -huh. and the US, and mm -hmm. they would bring them to India and uh, then, you know, just 
execute really well and uh, do it. Unlike you, you know, look at the leading edge companies we admire. Many of them build around some IP, they solve a core problem. And so they innovate and then that innovation is what results in a great business. And so they were on that thesis, which I thought aligned well with the product thinking ideas that, you know, were the heart of what we had done uh, while, I mean, IndiaStack was a very specific implementation under government, but the mm. whole idea was on productization and how do we improve it. Uh, so that fit well with my thinking and we joined forces. So that's mm -hmm. what led to the creation of this fund with five partners. And so the fund is a about a 600 crore fund with which invests in two strategies. One mm. strategy, uh, which is the dominant one, is around IP-driven innovation. And the second mm. is around uh, tech-driven market expansion uh, using the India stack. Mm. Mm. So mm. those are the two uh, strategies, so to speak, that we use in the fund to invest. And uh, mm. uh, it's been a interesting journey so far. I moved from being a doer to an enabler and mm. uh, to help, you know, identify companies and founders that might do well. And uh, mm. I'm still learning. I think, you know, I rely a lot on my uh, partners to help with some of the things that I'm new with. Uh, so it's an interesting journey. It's a big learning curve for me. And where does the bulk of the money come from for the fund? Is this uh, mostly from the Department of Science and Technology or do you have lim limited partners investing it and so on? Yeah, we are actually not a government fund. We are a fully okay. private fund. We are registered uh, with set up as technically two pools of capital, one of which is registered as an AIF at SEBI. Uh, mm. We uh, have LPs who invest because in each of the strategies we have different investors. Uh, mm. uh, they, so they invest in, uh, so we have regular LPs, uh, a lot of them from India, uh, some from outside, uh, which mm. uh, we then invest in. In terms of uh, government support, we have uh, some money coming in from SIDBI and uh, uh, a couple of others, but primarily we are not a government fund. We are a regular uh investment fund out of India. Hmm. And the DST connection is what then? It's the original support for the CIIE, is it? Yes. So CIIE.co was set up as a, uh, at that time it was Research called. Lab. Ah. Yeah, it was set up at IIM Ahmedabad to support entrepreneurship. And that was uh, part of, uh, you know, it was one of the first accelerators and incubators in the country. And hmm. there we received a lot of support from uh, DST and so on. And even within mm. the fund, we have received some amount, but it's not primarily that. Okay. All right. Mm. So now you, I guess you have some, you know, partnerships with them, uh, maybe look at some of the startups that they're incubated, etc. But for all practical purposes, you're a standalone private VC fund, uh, early stage startups. Correct. Okay. Okay. And uh, 600 crores, and and the, so the two streams that you uh, talked about, this is the innovation aspect and the inclusion mandate. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Okay, okay. And uh, typically, what is the sort of investment uh, structure? How much money do you uh, invest? And then do you invest in follow-on rounds? What are those kinds of things? Sure. So on the innovation uh, strategy, what we do is we come in at a pre-Series A or a Series A level where the mm. innovation is clearly visible. They've had time to establish 
uh, that it could potentially work and you know some of the early stage uh, de-risking has happened. So that's typically a pre-Series A, Series A stage where hmm. the uh, investment round size could be, you know, uh, 15 to uh, uh, 30, 40 crores. And hmm. we uh, write a check of about half that, you know, or more. We could write all of it as well. So we say about two to five million dollars is a kind of round size uh, of our investment amount that we put in there. Mm. Uh, while mm. uh, on the uh, other side, on the inclusion side, we chose to be a more early stage fund where we want to be the first institutional investor in the uh, business, where we would write a check of uh, four to eight crores, uh, where uh, and we want uh, you know we come in much earlier where I think some things have been fleshed out, but uh, there's still a lot of work to be done to build a real business out of it. Hmm. And uh, give, give us uh, some examples of the kinds of startups that you've invested in over the years. I mean, if I could sort of, in an oversimplified manner, summarize what I could call the core philosophy of what you're all trying to do is this uh, low-cost, high-volume transactions in areas that are currently problematic in terms of access or affordability for hundreds of millions of people across uh, Bharat. So I would imagine those are the kind of startups that you'd like to identify and back. So give us some examples that come to your mind. Sure. So, uh, so you know, on the inclusion side, uh, one of the earliest investments we made was in a company called Setu. So what Setu was doing was building this uh, technology layer which would enable the entire startup ecosystem to, or even businesses in general, not just startup ecosystem, to work more mm-hmm. closely with financial institutions and thus enable a lot of their finance part of their business uh, with them. So, uh, for example, if you were a, a restaurant aggregator, you could have your uh, all your money flows be automated through these systems with the connections to the banking ecosystem. Uh, that's one example. Uh, and so it's really a uh, tech layer that bridges the gap between banking and business. Uh, so which is where the name Setu as a bridge comes in. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've supported a company called Kaleidofin, which is was building a goal-directed savings product for uh, the typical microfinance customer. Uh, mm-hmm. We then uh, supported a company uh, in the gig uh, workforce space, which was helping uh, B2B business, uh, you know, gig work uh, to take place. Because there are a lot of people around the country who run their own local shops, but who are also available for doing large-scale jobs for other businesses. And that's something which could be done on a contract basis. And uh, we have MyMobiForce, which does that. Uh, We have a company helping uh, people apply for government jobs. Uh, so there typically is an exam. So there's an exam preparation piece there. Uh, so we supported, there's quite a few on the, you know, a sampler out of the eight or nine investments we've made on the inclusion side. Mm. On the innovation side, uh, it's a much more diverse set of uh, examples. It should be the case because you're looking at innovation. Um, mm. We've supported a company that uh, does... Uh, that actually is a molecule that could help, uh, uh, you know, in uh, cancer treatment. Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, and the one that uh, does works on non-destructive testing, so that you can actually 
check in a refinery whether there's a leak or corrosion. Um, mm. We have a company in the cybersecurity space. Uh, we have uh, one that is helping building toys for children in a new way. Uh, mm. And so we actually uh, have and the one which is doing emotion AI. So it's actually a very wide, diverse set. Um, mm. On the health side, we have a company which is uh, looking at uh, uh, building uh, ocular lenses, which are used for, uh, say, cataract replacement, uh, okay. which can help reduce, say, the power uh, you know, of the eyes, etc. So it's all uh, very exciting, uh, new, innovative ideas that you're supporting. Hmm. When you said emotion AI, it kind of triggered this thought in my head. Uh, is there any effort within the fund to identify what is today called uh, sort of the umbrella term of deep tech? Uh, so basically, startups or ventures uh, mm-hmm. that entrepreneurs are trying to build on top of uh, you know hardcore science and engineering. Correct. Yeah. So I, mean, I would say most of our investments would uh, fall into the in the innovation side would fall into the category of uh, deep tech or deep science right i mean building a molecule that can uh, support a certain type of cancer treatment i think uh, would fall in that category uh, as would uh, a uh, ocular uh, lens which uh, uh, can be modified after it is installed in the eye to support uh, you know the kind of uh, power, etc. So you don't need uh, an extra pair of glasses afterwards. I think they're mm-hmm. all uh, very, very science-based initiatives. And I think uh, they would fall very well in the deep tech or deep science uh, place where uh, I think, uh, yeah, that's the terminology that is used in the industry for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Sanjay, uh, with these startups and both the companies that you have invested fr- from the fund, as well as in general in the Indian startup scene, can you give us a sense of uh, uh, what is the state of play of these uh, startups? Are they all generally still in the early stage, nascent phase of development? Or are there any startups that come to your mind which are which are actually now beginning to make a meaningful impact? I mean, in the context of this low-cost, high-volume uh, kind of solutions that you want to bring to the market? Sure. I mean, so I think, uh, you know, uh, many of the startups are uh, like, say, for example, on the inclusion side, uh, you know, I think Setu was doing a wonderful job that got the right uh, uh, businesses, their transaction flow was uh, going really well. And I uh, think they've done a wonderful job. They've now, you know, become a part of the Pine Lab story and uh, they're doing well there as well, is what I understand. Kaleidofin, mm. mm. uh, 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 which is the first investment we made uh, doing goal-based savings in the microfinance space is now enabling lending as well to that segment. And again, that's a company where I think the numbers are growing quite well. And so both of these are doing a really good job. Some of the other companies are as well, uh, but the first two we did, and so they're always a little special. Uh, Then uh, on the uh, deep tech side, uh, you know, I think uh, Entropic, which is the Emotion AI company I spoke about, I think is uh, doing phenomenally well. They're getting a global market. They are the leaders in the space uh, around the world. Uh, Detect Technologies, which is the company we spoke about, which is doing the uh, non-invasive detection of corrosion, et cetera, 
is again, uh, you know, getting uh, good customers, building a good business, uh, Fire Compass, which is in the cybersecurity space. So they're all doing quite well. And I would say uh, uh, they're, you know, we come in very early, so they take a little while to become visible to the entire world. But I'm sure many of these will become names that we speak about uh, more commonly uh, over the years. Also, some of these are more B2B, so they don't come as much to light in the uh, public eye, right? Uh, and, you know, as far as the overall startup space is concerned, you know, I'm very bullish. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of companies that are doing well, that are solving interesting problems and, uh, you know, getting traction. And uh, uh, so I'm very excited uh, by what I see around us. Uh, the ecosystem is uh, fabulous and it's uh, still growing, still doing well. Though, you know, the short term macro type troubles that are there, but I would say, you know, we will get through this. Mm. Mm. One data point I came across on your website is that for every one rupee funded from your fund, uh, the uh, some of the companies go on to raise uh, as much as 30 rupees uh, from the ecosystem. So that I found that interesting. So beyond the fund, we also do this thing called the Bharat Inclusion Initiative, right? Uh, at CI.co, mm. what we have right. done is we felt that there was still a bunch of startups for whom equity funding didn't make sense, where they're so mm. early in their journey that uh, it has to be uh, grants and philanthropic capital supporting them. And mm. so we set up an uh, uh, accelerator or incubator initiative called the Bharat Inclusion Initiative which mm. is purely uh, funded by uh, grants from uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Michael and Susan Dell Foundation, J.P. Morgan, uh, as well, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, and uh, uh, PNB, uh, not PNB, MetLife Foundation. So we have mm -hmm. a, a bunch of people who support us through these initiatives. And what we have done is we set up a financial inclusion lab. And that statistic is actually about uh, the effectiveness of every rupee that we have spent on supporting startups, how that has created uh, viable uh, startups that have henceforth been supported by the broader ecosystem. Okay. To your mind, what are some of the biggest challenges faced by these ventures? I mean, in India, it's difficult to get people to pay for uh, software or services, right? Whether it's consumers or even MSMEs. Historically, it's been difficult, I, I would imagine. Some of that is changing. So uh, for the startups that you've been funding, what are the top challenges? So, I mean, I think that remains an important challenge, getting people to pay for these services. Though in the B2B startup case, that's uh, less of an issue because companies are used to paying for services. Uh, but on the other hand, it is, you know, uh, it is a tough job for sales. But also I think what we have seen uh, is... Uh, that, you know, we've got companies that are growing quite well, uh, but they don't, they're not growing explosively, right? And that remains a challenge. Uh, so because the startup ecosystem, you know, the whole idea of the venture funded startup ecosystem is uh, designed around companies that will grow explosively and give outsized returns. Yeah. And, and many other businesses, you know, while they're good businesses, uh, find that, uh, difficult to achieve. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that's something which I try to think if, you know, uh, when uh, when I see a portfolio company or a, a new company coming in, say, requesting funding, 
that's one of the primary questions that we have to think about is you know is this a good business or uh, which will work well without venture funding or will it uh, require venture funding and be able to deliver that explosive growth and scale okay um there's one comment uh, from mr himanshu i think uh, i think in general we get a sense of what are some of, some of the sectors that are most promising uh, in the context of bharat fund uh, uh, sanjay do you want to briefly talk about what are some of the verticals or sectors that are very promising so uh, broadly both are uh, thesis if you will or strategies are more horizontal than vertical yeah. Mm-hmm. uh so we don't actually say we're going to invest only in say edtech e- education is important and we have done uh one investment in pariksha which is uh looking at like i said uh, uh preparation for government job exams uh but uh we basically look at it as a way of expanding the reach of education to uh, tier 2 tier 3 india uh so we look at uh, education we have looked at farming we have not actually done anything in the agri space uh and i think in terms of digitization the journey in india is going to be wide and it's going to be deep and uh we have started on that path and i think the next uh few years is going to only see that accelerate so i'm quite uh, bullish on that but i do encourage people to think in terms of uh, uh you know from a investor lens i always ask people that yes there's a social impact but can you actually make a business out of it can you work out the unit economics who will pay how much uh who uh, who are all the parties involved in the transaction how will each of them benefit from that transaction because end of the day you know uh, even if you take a look at lending the reason why that works is because the borrower is benefiting he's using the money productively to improve his life right improve his income improve his living experience uh and on the other side the lender is getting returns and so is everybody in the value chain so the idea is to say how can we improve the lives of people for everybody in the transaction and at the same time do it in a way that is viable and uh, i would and uh, but you know i think digitization is a broad trend we are going to see across the country and uh uh it's here to stay right there's no going back that's one uh in the uh innovation side again i would say that going sector agnostic this a lot of thinking going on around uh, uh i mean every sector there is right it's health whether it is uh uh finance whether it is uh, logistics uh languages uh you know the whole web3 stuff this uh I can't think of any sector that's uh, not open for innovation. Sanjay, what's next uh, for Bharat Fund? What are some of the or what is the biggest opportunity uh, looking ahead uh, for the Bharat Innovation Fund from your perspective? So from my perspective I think you know we are uh, you know on a macro level uh, you know I think uh, doing very well as a startup community in India we are seeing growth. There are some challenges I think we need a lot more capital to be invested. Uh, in this space and it's coming i mean there is a lot of capital that is coming in but i think there's a lot more required at the early stage to support many of these ideas uh mm-hmm. I, and i think you know uh, it's a very uh, uh how do i put it you know i'm very uh, bullish on the whole space 
and mm. i see uh, you know finally i think it's the entrepreneurs who are going to make these changes happen i mean and uh, would love to encourage more of them to come so all right very nice sanjay wonderful conversation thank you again for making time for this and definitely hope to keep the conversation going and thank you again sanjay uh, thanks harry and uh, thanks to the audience as well for being here so that's it for this week startup fridays wherever you've been listening to us i hope you've been staying safe and doing well have a wonderful friday and a great weekend ahead 